It's not like I enjoy doing all of this to you, but. Um, I've been going through this series on 1 John, and I told you guys I like it better when I'm studying the passages and I'm finding truths in there that really apply to you guys and not myself, right? That's, that's a much better scenario, but that's not been happening every week. So um, I'm Joe Davis, and uh, it's good to be with you guys here today. This one's, this one's kind of a different... Well, this one's called Fresh Love. And there's a, this may sound uh, kind of uh, confusing, but you guys know how sometimes when I'm preaching, I like to give you a new definition to take with you so you have a new perspective on uh, the way you're viewing your walk with Christ. And today is no different. Because um, here's what happens, right? I think as humans, we are constantly searching for a new philosophy. Something that will change us, right? Something that will help us become a better person. And for some reason, when it comes to philosophy and ways of thinking, the world is just willing head over heels to fall in love with anything just because it's new. It's fresh. Even if, by the way, it's unproven. Never mind that. But it's new. Nobody ever thought of this before. It has to be good. These new insights, of course, arrive at through diligence or brilliance or perhaps both. Man-made philosophies that unwittingly almost every time promote self-confidence or they teach the importance of just knowing more. So we engage Without Christ, we, we are tempted and willing to engage in a tireless, lifelong pursuit of that one last missing kernel of understanding that will put us over the top spiritually. The fact of the matter is new philosophies can't change us. All they really can do is try to bring us at peace with who we really are. <clears throat> But what we don't understand is this, this subconscious desire that we have to be made new, to be transformed, and to reap the benefits from it that drive us to these areas. This exactly was the temptation that was presented to the churches that John was writing to in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, as he's writing, because they were being invaded, as we've talked about the last few weeks, by Gnosticism. The idea that there is nothing real in the physical world and that, that true enlightenment is understanding that what the teachings of Jesus were really about was realizing the physical world isn't really there and all you have to do is embrace the spiritual world. <clears throat> so let me read the passage to you today and then we'll go from there. 1 John chapter 2, 7-11. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and true light is already shining. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. 
So we like to take each passage and break it up into three areas. What is the history of this passage? What was going on at the time? What was man doing and why and how did he do it? And what was the effects? So I've entitled the historical part of this stale superiority. <clears throat> so what would happen is these Gnostics were preaching this new gospel. This new gospel, the fact that Jesus really didn't have to die and, and all it was was an object lesson. And there is no need of, of him dying on the cross for our redemption. All we need for redemption is enlightenment, a little bit more knowledge. And these new age teachers, these Gnostics that John was battling, he was speaking up against, claimed to have this new gospel. This new gospel denied even moral absolutes. They denied sin and they denied the consequences. They said to, to feel like that you are sinful or experiencing consequences is just you not understanding that the, the physical world around you is not real. They claimed that they didn't need redemption from sin, but merely redemption from ignorance. And this created, if you will, a spiritual 1%. <coughs> a few years ago, that was a big uh, political thing, you know, the, the wealthy 1%. This Gnostic teaching was creating a spiritual 1%. And that is this. Gnostics and those who embrace this new philosophy, this new enlightenment, they look down on those poor souls that just didn't have the mental or spiritual capacity to understand their new gospel. This was a serious problem. They considered themselves intellectually superior more intelligent, and better than those who were just wallowing in the fables of apostolic teaching. They were the elite in the church. And those that didn't understand were beneath them. This was the problem that John is specifically address addressing. There was a crowd, a subset of people within the church that would say, well, we really know we're just tolerating these poor souls below us. And it was this spiritual 1%, which you can see, led to division and resentment. As a matter of fact, it was called Occupy Ephesus. Just kidding. It wasn't really called Occupy Ephesus. Some of those got that joke. I appreciate it. Their teachings created, if you will, a spiritual pecking order, a division within the church. And the results were of this division were resentment. And a lack of love. And so the superior people said, oh, those, those people who don't understand Gnosticism and enlightenment, they're beneath us. And those who say, wait a minute, just because we believe in the gospel and the preachings of the apostles, somehow you're above us and we're below you. And there began to have this resentment and bitterness between the two groups. And the obsession with this new philosophy created a focus on knowledge rather than love and service. And it created a stale divisiveness, if you will. And the odor of this stale divisiveness was permeating the whole church in the area. And this stale cycle was a huge problem in the first century church. Because Gnosticism began to grow and become a huge cancer. As a matter of fact, James addressed it in James chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. He too was battling against Gnosticism, those who said that sin wasn't real. And here's what James says. He says, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothes comes in also. And if you pay attention to the one who wears fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place 
While you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? So that is the historical aspect of what John is addressing. This division, this resentment, this superiority, this bitterness, this cancer that was spreading. They weren't loving one another. So let's go to the spiritual side. What about God? What does he do? And why and how does he do it? I want to use this, uh, this term ancient and fresh. And John says, look, I'm not writing you a new commandment, some new novel philosophy designed to impress people. And he explains what I'm writing to you is something you've heard from the very beginning. And as a matter of fact, he says, if you were Jewish, you would know about this great commandment. It goes all the way back to the Old Testament. It was the law of love that teaches if there is spiritual life, sacrificial, inconvenient love will result. So let's talk about the ancient commandment. In verse 7, it says, I'm not writing you some new commandment. And the Greek word he uses there is paleos. We get the, the, the English word paleontology. It means ancient. He says, I'm not writing to you an ancient commandment. Or I'm, I'm not writing you a new one, but an, an ancient one. And he says, here's what I'm trying to tell you. Love is not the next great idea. It's a proven, time-tested concept. And he says, the philosophy of love has stood the test of time. It's been around way before these Noxics came into the picture. Even as new philosophies come your way, like, like Gnosticism did, and left people empty and bitter and resentful, searching and unchanged and untransformed, the idea of love was always there. As a matter of fact, in Mark chapter 12, verse 30 and 31, Mark says this, Actually, Jesus says this through Mark. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second commandment is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says there is no greater commandment than these. And what John is saying is you can talk about all the new age Gnosticism that you want, all this new enlightenment, all this new gospel. I'm not going to tell you anything new. I'm going to tell you something you've always known. It's an ancient commandment. It's the commandment of love. And he says it's ancient, but then he also says it has fresh impact. That's what he says when he means, I'm not writing you something old. I'm not writing you something new. It's old, but yet he says it's new. And it's interesting because the Greek word, there are two Greek words for new. The first one is neos, which you can see we get new. It means chronologically new, recently happening. That's the Greek word. That is not the word he uses to describe the commandment of love. He uses this word, kainos. It means fresh, refreshed made new again. And what he's saying is, I'm not writing you a new commandment. It's an ancient one, but it is a fresh one. He says it's something that is transformative in quality and character. It's fresh, and it's not a contradiction. He's talking about how this old truth gives you the new transformation that you've been seeking in this Gnostic gospel. And unlike Gnostic teachings that create division and resentment, and anger, and bitterness, and frustration, this teaching transforms your life. He is saying the old-fashioned gospel is the only philosophy that will make you fresh. Even though you think a new philosophy is fresh, it is not. It is rancid. It is stale. The ancient 
commandment of loving one another and loving God, that is the one that is fresh and new. This ancient truth is the fresh life that we desperately crave, he says. And not only that, it reconciles us to God, but it also reconciles us to each other. Here's what he says in 2 Corinthians. Paul says this in chapter 5, verse 17 and 18. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new, and by the way, that is the same Greek word that John uses. It's, it's, it's not neos, it's kainos. He is a fresh creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new or fresh has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So in other words, what he's saying is when you're in Christ, you are made fresh, you are reconciled to God, and because you are now fresh, you are reconciled with other fresh people. And the ministry of unity and reconciliation is a direct result of fresh love for our brothers and sisters in Christ that does not come from some new man-made philosophy, but the philosophy of the gospel. Who, by the way, in Jesus Christ, showed the ultimate expression of fresh love. It says, greater love has no man than this, that he gave his life for his friends. That's why the cross fulfills the commandment of love, the ancient one that brings freshness. All right, so let's talk about the personal side. I want to talk about fresh love, the result of that ancient command fulfilled by Christ who showed the greatest love. This week in my uh, social media campaign, uh, this is what I put up there. Philosophy helps you love yourself. The gospel enables you to love one another. See, what we learn from history, both in 1 John and, frankly, in our own lives, right, is we learn that spiritual knowledge or philosophy aren't transformative. I'm not saying there's never anything good in them, but they are powerless to change your life. And, frankly, you know what? Christians can get trapped in this cycle as well. Especially if we're born out of the idea that somehow we are able to choose Jesus, come to trust him through our own deductive reasoning and process, instead of realizing that Jesus chose us first. You think about it, right? You could have an idea of resentment if a Christian says, what, can't you see that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? Don't you understand that? What, are you an idiot? Or maybe we even get in that when we rely upon our own righteousness, our own religious accomplishments. And at that point, we begin to go into this spiritual 1%, do we not? And that robs us of love, and that makes other people... Who does this person think he is? Just because he doesn't listen to Led Zeppelin? I like Led Zeppelin. Somehow you're better than me? Can you see how this could kind of go into the same type of spiritual 1% syndrome that the Gnostics had? See, this is not what the ancient command that creates fresh love is about. So let's look at what this fresh love is that John is teaching us. The first thing I want you to see is that fresh love is humble. Think about it. Here's what it says in 1 John chapter 4, 19 that we'll study later on in this series. We love because he first loved us. We don't love because we chose Jesus. 
We chose Jesus because he chose us and loved us first. And how did he do that? Through giving his life for us on the cross. See, this is the supernatural genesis of fresh love. When you begin to understand that the gospel starts with loving intervention into your heart by the Spirit of God, into your mind, into your soul, that the gospel has created a spiritual and intellectual humility and brokenness that the cure for is the gift of faith enabling you to rely upon the greatest commandment of love, which is evidenced by the cross. And what begins to happen is this fresh love being humble, we are emptied of this spiritual and philosophical arrogance and pride that philosophy or religion can bring. And we are in turn filled with humility, gratitude, and love. And the gospel creates, in our humility, the gospel creates this ability to help us see others as better than ourselves. Paul even says that. Don't look out for your own interests, he says, but think of others as better than yourself. Put them before your own interests. So you can see that arrogance and superiority can't thrive in fresh love from the true ancient gospel. So that's fresh love being humble. You know what else fresh love is? It's inconvenient. See, what we're really good at, guys, is we are really good at scheduling our love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Well, Tuesday night, I have love for my brothers in Christ. Wednesday, it's all me. <laughs> Sunday morning, I will, unless I was out late Saturday, you know, then, you know, you'll have to understand. Sorry, I couldn't love my brother. It wasn't convenient. Saturday just encroached on Sunday. Sorry. But see, fresh love disrupts our otherwise consuming love of self. It is impossible to have been freshly loved by God through the gospel and not sacrificially love others he has called and chosen and redeemed. And when fresh, and we talked about advocacy last week. Remember we talked about this two-way advocacy that Christ is advocating to God for us and he's advocating to us for righteousness. When fresh love is present, it advocates for relentless love and service for one another. You think you know Christ? You think you have this fresh love? Then you're going to desire serving others. Fresh, let me explain it this way. This fresh love that I'm trying to define for you, this, this kainos love that John was talking about, this fresh love creates an urgent, unquenchable passion for the welfare of and fellowship of others that wasn't there before. Do you understand what I'm saying? All of a sudden, when God loves you, and when the Holy Spirit of God intervenes and transforms you and gives you the gift of faith, there is this urgent, unquenchable desire to see your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ doing well. And you want to be with them. And we become... And I can say this from personal experience. We become capable of sacrifice and love at a level no new philosophy could ever bring. It frankly becomes inconvenient. As a matter of fact, Jesus talked about that. He says, if someone asks you to go one mile, go with them too. Going the extra mile. And you know what happens is this, this is one of the core values of grace. Like we talk about the fact that we want to be a surprisingly generous church. That should be a result of fresh love. If we are not, if we are managed 
in our generosity. You know, like we schedule it and we manage it. and That's not fresh love. That's the philosophy of, well, you know, if you give, something will come back. See, fresh love doesn't care about getting back. Man-made philosophy can't create any of that. As a matter of fact, man-made philosophy is always quite convenient. But when supernatural commandments of love take over your heart, your schedule is transformed, even if you don't want it to be. You know what else about fresh love? It's unifying. You know, it's really hard for someone that truly understands redemption from depravity to deny affection for others redeemed from that same depravity by the same gospel, the same spirit, and the same savior. It's impossible, as a matter of fact. You can't claim to have tasted the joy of redemption to not care about the joy that somebody else's redemption has brought them. You will not only celebrate your own redemption, you won't get enough of celebrating other people's redemptions. If you are a, oh, you're redeemed, that's good. That's not fresh love, that's stale superiority. You begin to comprehend with fresh love just how critical your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ are if you're going to have a life of abundance. You begin to see that my life will be very unsatisfying if I'm not with my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ every moment I can be. We understand how much we receive fresh love from them and extend fresh love back. It's fresh love from an ancient command. Let me tell you something. I will take fresh love from an ancient command over new, new philosophies of man any day. And you know, it is very unifying because here's what will happen. If you are really being overcome and experiencing fresh love, you won't let politics separate us. Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, it won't matter. You will have fresh love. Fresh love won't allow you, now this is important, listen carefully. Fresh love will not allow you to be stingy when others are in need. You know what else fresh love won't do? It won't allow us to hold back forgiveness cling to grudges. As a matter of fact, Jesus talks about infinite forgiveness in Matthew 18, 22. Jesus, how many times do I got to forgive him? Seven times? He says, no, I tell you 70 times seven. Fresh love won't allow you. Well, look, I'm a believer in everything, but it's going to take me a year. Can't really talk to you right now. I know that donuts and bagels are at 10. I'm going to come in at 10.31 so you're done with your bagels and sitting down and I can sit in the back and avoid you. That's not fresh love. That's stale superiority. Fresh love, you know what else it won't tolerate? It won't tolerate spiritual arrogance. Because what fresh love understands is we are all on the same plane together in Desperate need of redemption. As a matter of fact, fresh love is the greatest unifier. As a matter of fact, it is the greatest unifier in those moments 
that we actually celebrate together our redemption. I got some verses for you. Isaiah 51:11. And the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads, and they shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Psalm 107 verse 2, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble. You know why at Grace Life we love, and the band can come up, you know why we love that song that Al sings so much, I Am Redeemed? I was joking with Al, it's not because of the music. It is, but the reason we love it so much is because we understand what he's singing. In that moment when we're worshiping together about our redemption, it is one of the most unifying things that we can experience in our life. And we have this fresh love for one another, a fresh love for our Savior, and a love that brings us closer together in such a way that there's no room for staleness. It's hard to feel stale after that song, isn't it? I am redeemed, you set me free. Took off the heavy chains, wiped away every stain. I'm not who I used to be, I'm a new creation. We're gonna do that song today. I know some of you thinking, oh, please tell me he's gonna do it, he's gonna do it. We are. So I called Al this week and I said, Al, um, can you sing this song for us? No pressure, it'll be the most important worship song of the century. <laughs> you know, because it's... It seems like all I could see was a struggle Haunted by ghosts that lived in my past Bound up in shackles of all my failures Wondering how long is this gonna last Then you look at this prisoner and say to me, son Stop fighting a fight that's already been won Heavy chains wipe away all. I'm not who I used to be. I am redeemed. All my life I have been called unworthy. Child, lift up your head. I remember, oh God, you're not done. 
over and hug the person next to you and say, I'm so glad we're both redeemed. That's the old, ancient commandment bringing fresh, fresh love. Now go this week and bask in the old, ancient commandment of love and knowing that it has transformed you and given you fresh love that no philosophy could ever bring. Amen.